Ramble. Welcome to Curious with Josh Peck. Start the show. Welcome back to the Curious Podcast. My name is Josh Peck, and I am your host, and your name is Listener, and that's what you do. You listen. Thank you so much for listening. I just, let me be honest with you guys, and I'm going to get vulnerable here, so fucking buckle up. I feel so lucky to do this podcast for you. I love podcasts. Yo, I'm listening to Live and Die in LA right now, Neil Strauss's podcast, from brought to you by Cadence 13, who's the company that brings you this podcast. It's outstanding. The twists and the turns. Let me tell you, the mystery god, it's quite it is a open it's an open murder investigation uh, that literally began like less than 2 months ago. So it is hot off the press. I'm a big fan of Neil Strauss. Uh, listen, I'll be honest. I really want him on the podcast. I reached out on Instagram. He didn't respond. Maybe he doesn't read his DMs. Maybe I'm an asshole for even bringing this up. So I'm going to suck all that back, all that ego, and just say, Neil, huge fan of your books. Read them all. Really big fan of your podcast. Big fan of you. All the things. What else do you do? Pottery? I'm sure I would fucking love that. What do you make, mugs in your spare time? Anyway, if you ever want to come on the podcast, I'd love it. You know, feel free to email me. Peckagent at gmail. Just saying. No pressure. You're a busy person making incredible things. And what do you need to go on this pod? Talk to me. Uh, you got better things to do. Uh, yeah, I love podcasts. <laughs> Man, what's wrong with me so much? Oh, today is April Fool's Day. I record this the day before the podcast drop. And um, I think it's really stupid. And I think you're stupid if you make April Fool's jokes. I just read Tom Brady wrote this tweet like, hey, I'm retiring. And uh, and in my spare time, I'll be tweeting. <laughs> it's like, Tommy, I'm going to talk to Tom Brady right now as if I was... Uh, if I was from Dorchester, Massachusetts, and a diehard, lifelong Patriots fan. Tommy. What are you doing, Tommy? God, listen. You know we fucking love you, Tom. You're the best there ever was, and there's ever gonna be. You would deliver a fucking pigskin to Rob Gronkowski's hands like it was FedEx. Next day delivery. Nobody did what you did. But these tweets, Tommy. You don't need this. All right? Put your feet up. Get a massage, hang out with Giselle, and and you rest a little bit before the season's going to begin any second. Sure, we're like four months out, but nevertheless, Tommy, just take a relax a little, walk away from the social media. I know you wanted to make a joke, and I'm sure it, I'm sure it was hilarious in your head. But for us, the fans, we don't need that. We don't need to worry that you you're gonna leave us. And then be reminded that it's some weird fucking made-up holiday of people who feel the need to make jokes. It's not a real holiday, Tommy. <laughs> what was that? I don't know. I just felt like doing an accent. Love you, Tom Brady. I really look up to you. You're a masterful uh, athlete and just human. You're so handsome. I think I've ranted about Tom Brady before. I, just, I would just love to know what it feels like. In his skin. Like, I'd like to wear his skin for many days. I don't think that's weird. Um, what else? I'm going to Minneapolis for the Final Four. I'm really excited about that. I'm going to go there, do some 
big campaign work with Buick, one of my favorite partners. I'm going to be driving some Buicks and doing some cool social media campaign stuff. And I'm excited, man. It's very cool. It somehow feels like more um, like genuine and virtuous college sports. Because you know they're not like getting dumb contracts and in turn spending it on ridiculous shit. On like a Lamborghini that is, you know, that can, uh, that has, it's made out of mirrors. What? You bought a Lamborghini made out of mirrors? Aren't you afraid that when you're driving it's going to reflect the sun into other motorists' eyes? I don't give a fuck. Shit looks ill. I'm going to get me a mirror Lamborghini. That's what I said when I was nine years old and I got that shit. Okay, um, sir. Okay. Well, all right. Um, but I'll be in Minneapolis for my third Final Four in a row. Three years have gone. I'm really excited about that. I feel very lucky to uh, to be able to go there and watch people root on a college. I didn't go to college, so I don't really know from that what it feels like to feel that, ooh, my alma mater, go Duke, right? Duke, they're good. Well, not this year. They didn't make it, but they're very good. They just, you know, whatever. It didn't happen this year. Um but that should be fun. And I'm flying to Tampa tonight to go to the University of South Florida to go do some uh, comedy stylings. And then uh, I'm going to be in Des Moines, Iowa at a college there. And uh, overall, I'm very uh, in a lot of anticipation because it's going to be Josh alone in his hotel room for 12, maybe 14 hours at a, at a time. Before the gig and then after the gig. Because listen, I don't do anything in these cities. Well, I shouldn't say that. I do stuff. Listen, when I go to these college gigs and I'm in a random, you know, sometimes you're lucky. You get to go to Chicago, New York, top tier cities. Other times, you go in, uh, you go in cities that uh, you wouldn't normally frequent. And that's all right. They're charming wonderful places in and of themselves but you know they might lack a little bit of the razzle dazzle of a miami or a seattle perhaps you know what i mean i don't mean to undersell des moines so then you got to really get into the food right because it's you know as most of you know who listen to the pot i'm a sober square of a man and so can't do the drugs and alcohol because god man if i could be doing these shows and walk into a bar in the hotel and just put back a couple fucking Johnny Walkers, you know, three or four of those, chase it with a Xanax and watch Netflix until I fell asleep. Oh my God, just pass out in my room, wake up the next morning, still like kind of half out of it and stumble onto the plane, wake up in LA five hours where I've just sort of evened out and now I'm ready to like, you know attack the day that's that would be amazing but I, I can't do that i gave up that pass i don't do those things anymore so i gotta get really into the food when i go to a town and i gotta start yelping shit and be like what is the best pad thai in des moines because i gotta try that shit i would like to go to a restaurant completely dedicated to rice pudding mm. you're to wait there is a taquito shop that also does artisanal donuts. Where the fuck is it? G call the lift. We what? You don't call them? It's just an app. Okay, do that. Uh, do the do the lift app because I'm I want to go there. I want to try a taquito and a and a jelly donut. So I get into the food. 
Sometimes I'll go to like uh, a meeting of other people like me, you know, that secret club that I'm a part of that you're not really supposed to talk about in mainstream media. Maybe I'll find one of those and go meet up with others like me. That's usually a good idea. And, and basically I just try to stay out of my head because it's a bad neighborhood. But I'm, I'm excited for Tampa tomorrow because it's going to be sunny. Might lay by the pool for a couple hours, work out, go to the gig. Come home straight away, like six hours later, because I have a sweet baby child now, and it's not fair to leave my wife alone with him for too long. Because while I'm sure she loves him very much, eh, he's a handful. But man, he's fun. It's gross. I really like him. Blech. So sorry. Ah, I want to talk about him on every podcast. Is that disgusting or what? I know. I never thought I'd be this guy, but I guess I am. Nah, whatever. What else? Uh, I don't have much. I believe that's about it. Guys, on today's show, Simon Rex, um, you know him from his acting, from his music, Dirt Nasty, now his new podcast, Nervous Rex, which I was recently a guest on. It's excellent. Go check it out. Nervous Rex. Always love supporting A, my friends, and B, uh, new podcasters because God knows I need the help. So I always want to be helpful in any way I can. Um, but Simon's just the dopest. He and I have sort of like been, we've orbited each other for many years. Um, that sounds weird. We orbited each other. Sound like I feel like a few people were like, does that mean you guys made out? No, I never made out with Simon Rex. Would I like to? Sure. I've got eyes, but nevertheless. Um, anyway, he's the best. I loved our conversation. I got to hang out with him at his place in Santa Monica. So please enjoy Simon. So what I haven't, I'll be honest, I haven't listened to the cast yet. So it, what's the, is just, we're just shooting the shit? Yeah. Okay, great. I love it. Great. I love the cast. I, Cause I call it the pod. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I've never heard the cast the, yet. Yeah, the cast, bro. I like that. Yeah. I just bought all, I kind of got a similar rig to this one and I got my mics and everything. I've done like five episodes. I just haven't launched yet. I'm going to wait till I get like 10 good ones in the can. And I want to do a kid's one where I just interview kids only. Really? Yeah. Wouldn't that be cool? Like. Call it just kidding and only kids and just talk to kids and be act like a kid with them. Or you already got the ill title. You know what I mean? Are we on? Yeah, we're crispy, live. crispy, dumb, crispy, it's crispy. So you you're gonna have kids in the pod. You're, yeah. You're. Uh, are we allowed to talk about this kid yeah, album? Yeah, let's talk working? about it. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's just it's just in the works. I'm just. Uh, I was just playing you some tunes at the crib. We're here. We're here in Venice, and I wanted to uh, just like show Josh what I'm working on. So I played him a couple demos, real rough, of my new project I'm working on, which is going to be a kid's album. It's untitled right now. I have a few ideas for the name. I'll, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. But basically, for you guys listening, I have a character I do called Dirt Nasty, which is real vulgar, really, you know, over-the-top dirty. So I've last few years, I haven't really recorded much because I haven't felt it. So I'm like, what could I do different? So I'm like, fuck, I should do a kid's album that's like G-rated, <laughs> right, yeah. for... Uh, for kids and parents that that's digestible for parents to listen to on the way to school, dropping them off or, you know, whatever is that something that's in the middle somewhere. So that's the goal. We'll see. Yes. Yeah. That's the goal. And then separately a kid's podcast. I don't have kids. I'm just a big kid myself. And I love kids because kids are so honest and kids write jokes without meaning to kids are so funny. Right. So figure, how do you go wrong with a bunch of kids? I love it. And I think 
I, I will say, I think you're tapping into a, into a much needed market because I'm about to have a kid. Congrats. And much, there are many things that annoy me about parents that I've seen. One of them is that they let their child control the uh, radio in the car. Right. And like, they're like, we got to fucking put on Kids Bop 700 right. or like Radio Disney. And I'm like, nah, chill. Like, I, I'm not going to listen to the Itsy Bitsy Spider. Like, right. I might not put on Rick Ross for my two-year-old, but like, let's find some fucking happy medium here because I'm That's not gonna I'm going to be. For. Yeah, exactly. And not only that, to add to that, also, right now, I think we're in a really weird climate with where we're at as a country in the world. Everything's so divided between black, white, cop, civilian, man, woman, mm. fucking everyone's so divided. But you know what we all are? We're all kids. Everyone was a kid. So I think it'll tap into that and resonate with everybody's kid inside them. And it doesn't matter your political party, your race, your job. Everyone was a kid or everyone has a kid and everyone remembers being a kid. So it's going to, that's what I want to tap into is that, that child energy. And I think that's, uh, you can't be mad at it. Like, you can't be like, like, I've done movies before that were for kids and people are like, yo, that movie sucked. I'm like, yeah, it's for a seven-year-old. It's not for you. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, stop trying to understand so, it. Right. So that's the goal with this, but yet digestible for parents, you know? I think you can achieve, like, that's the brilliance of Pixar, right? Is that they've got movies that two-year-olds or five-year-olds love, but that their parents aren't, like, dreading seeing. Right. And I think that's so, you know, I, I... Get annoyed with parents who feel as who allow their kids to dictate their entire lifestyle. And I realize everything changes as it should. But like when they can only go to a specific restaurant or they can only do a certain like five tasks when they're with their kid, because otherwise they're like, well, I'm not going to bring this crazy wild animal into a Bloomingdale's. Right, right. I'm like, no, like uh, acclimate them into your life. Yeah, totally. I haven't. You know, obviously I'm no kids yet, but I have a lot of friends. I'm like one of the only ones left in my crew who doesn't have a wife and kids. Mm. I got a girlfriend and that's enough. Like that's a, like a, in itself, a long distance relationship is it's what I'm in right now. And that's a lot of work for me. Uh, I Where want she kids. When, she's in Canada. Oh, okay. Yeah. They're it's nice people country. up there. Yeah. But it's still like the, it's not, it's like a five hour flight. It ain't that crazy. You yeah. Know? Canadians are the best, by the way. Like, I, I love Canadians, especially Canadian girls, because they're just nice. You know so what I mean? Nice. I remember my uncle telling me that a long time ago. He's like, because I was dating these crazy, like, actress chick, and I'd bring them back to the family stuff. And my uncle one day is like, you know, one day you're just going to want to be with someone nice. And it always stuck with me. And then now, finally, in my 40s, I'm like, dude, I just want, like, a nice person that's pleasant to be around. You know what I mean? So Canadians are usually, not to paint the whole country as one but for the most part most canadians are like the coolest people on the planet They're you know great. what i mean it's weird right why is it so different across that like from detroit to toronto what what is it that's so different culturally that's like it's so bizarre to me i go up there i'm like what is this up here they got healthcare figured out they got right. they got the system just works better the crime is way lower there's no negative vibes in the air like relatively speak i've lived up there for a while i've lived up there probably two years total mm. doing a, like vancouver a couple movies and touring up there and just spent a lot of time in canada i'm always like dude what the fuck's going on up here or what's going on down here rather i don't know what it is yeah Weird. i mean I, I the first thing that comes to mind is like is it slightly homogenized but it's super diverse but i'll take that over crazy and violent and scary like fuck man this place we're it's nuts dude like you realize when you travel how crazy we are, you know? Like, when you go around the world, you're like, fuck, we're kind of fucking crazy. And yet, does you going around the world make you want to live anywhere else? 
Sometimes it's weird because, yeah, I mean, the fantasy, I mean, I think the fantasy of living in Bali or Australia or, you know, anywhere that you go that you like, but then the reality is you kind of need to be anchored here for work and stuff and mm. like at least available. And I'm on the road a lot as it is. And I miss a lot of opportunities. I'll be gone for a while and your agent will call you and be like, we have an audition. I'm like, damn, I'm out of the country or whatever. So I think you need to at least be here most of the year. I mean, I think the way to do it would be to have some paradise that you can spend four months a year at or something like that, you know, because you got to be tethered here pretty close for what we do. And it, and aside from the work part of it, like, because I find that too, and I've been to Bali and was like blown away. And yeah, that so place many, is next level. Dude, there's so many places where I'm like, God, I love the essence and and the food and the culture and the women and like everything is so um, intoxicating. Uh-huh. And yet... I have this like deep Americana yeah. built into me, like this love of the heartland. I don't yeah. know what it is. Yeah, Do you, you have know, that or not? I really? have, you know, I think I have that for LA a lot. It's like a love hate thing. Like I fucking hate it here, but I love coming back. Yes. I can't wait to get out of here and then I can't wait to get back. And I'm from Northern California. So it's for those of you that haven't been, it's a world apart up there. Like it's, you know, and they want to make sure that you know that. Oh, for sure. There's the sports rivalry and the cultural, like you know, difference in people. Always kind of there's that beef within Northern and Southern California. But for me, I'm a California kid. I moved to New York for five years when I was like 21, and I became a New Yorker. And I didn't like it. My mom's from New Jersey, and she noticed that I became a New Yorker. I started walking faster, talking different. I'm from California where you smile at people walking down the street. If you smile at someone in New York, that means you're going to stab them in three seconds. You don't smile (laughs) at people in New York. It's like, what are you looking at? And I became that. I became a New Yorker. It was like, what are you looking at? And I'm like, this ain't me. So after five years of New York, I came back, but I came to LA from the Bay to New York to here. And, uh, and I got back to my California ways, which is a lot more relaxed and chill, you know? And your mom, what part of Jersey? Elizabeth. I, and she's Jewish? Yeah. I, so you're half Jewish? Yeah. Uh, but technically how it works is if your mom's Jewish, you're Jewish? You're Jewish. Like, so, so do you like rep- Hitler would kill me, but I'm half because my dad isn't. But then religiously, I'm not because I was baptized. So I'm all fucked up. Like, Interesting. My dad's dad was a priest, so I was baptized. But then they didn't make me celebrate any religion religiously, I guess. How would you say that? <laughs> uh, so I never was forced. I had a secular household. I didn't have to do any of that. So... I was just left to my own devices and never had to practice any religion, but I have like deep Jewish roots on my mom's side. Like her grandfather, my great grandfather is like a prominent rabbi from, who was in New York City in the 1800s, late 1800s, early 1900s. His name was Rabbi Yudlovich. And there's a synagogue on Eldridge Street in Chinatown. If you're ever in Chinatown walking around, right below Canal Street on Eldridge, there's a perfectly resurrected synagogue with a huge stained glass window. And it's, it's the juxtaposition of that to Chinatown around it, because that used to be an Orthodox Jewish neighborhood, like Russian Jewish, yeah. back in the day. And then it became a Puerto Rican neighborhood, and now it's a Chinese neighborhood. But back then, they, what they kept through all these years, for like 100 plus years, they kept my great-grandfather's synagogue. So I went there recently, like two years ago. My mom was like, I can't believe all the years you lived in New York, you never went to see your family synagogue. So a couple years ago, I went in there, and there's this huge picture, like he's Jesus on the wall when you walk in. And I was just looking at it, and these people came out. It's like a museum now. And they came out, they're like, I'm going to do a a stereotypical Jewish accent, but I'm Jewish, so I could do this. They came (laughs) out, and they're like, yes, may we help you? And I'm 
I'm looking at the picture. I'm like, yeah, that's my great-grandfather. And they laugh. They're like, yeah, right. And I'm like, no, that's my great-grandfather. They're like, tell us your relatives. And I start listing off like my grandfather's name, my aunt and uncle's names. I'm like, Aunt Bertie from Elizabeth, Harold from you know Newark. And they look at me. They're like, you are the last man in the bloodline of Rabbi Yudlovich. You don't practice Judaism? I'm like, no, I'm just from San Francisco. I'm not, I don't know, man. Right. And they're like, you are the last man in the blood. And they wanted to convert me and they wouldn't let me go. And it of was like, course. I was like the chosen last man in the bloodline of the big rabbi on the wall. And I was so uncomfortable. And they took me to dinner and they're like surrounding me. And I'm just sitting there with my boy. I'm just like, oh shit, this is heavy. Because the Jewish community is very small. And they want to convert anyone who is Jewish by blood, not by religion. So, like, they really want to get you, you know. Well, isn't it incredible, too, it's that, crazy. like, no matter what, even, like, we're all Mormons in that way. Like, the, no matter the religious or, like, your religious proclivity, we've got, like, sort of the fundamentalists who want to recruit more. Of course. Like, who want to go out and be like, no, 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 you don't understand. Yeah. Like, this is first and foremost, and you got to do this to the nth degree. Well, part of me wishes that I had that, that I cared enough. Like I feel bad because I'm disconnected from that religious, spiritual, whatever you want to call it. And then more recently, like I, I never was pushed. That was the most I've ever had it pushed on me was when I went there to see my synagogue of my family. And they were like, you know, really heavy, heavy handed on like, you need to, you need to come be a part of the community and all this stuff. And it was really uncomfortable, but I get it, you know what I mean? Because there's less than 1% of the earth is Jewish. Yeah. There's not a lot of us left, so they want us, you know, if you have it in your blood, you ha if you're in the tribe, you got to, like, well, work with that. So, I, you know, more recently, if anything, like, I've been reading, the, like, about the Tree of Life and, and uh, you know, uh, Kabbalah. It's not Kabbalah. I learned that. It's pronounced Kabbalah. But everyone would pronounce, like, when Madonna became... In, yeah, the, the red the Kabbalah, strings around the wrist. Pronounced Kabbalah, not Kabbalah. It's anyway, Jewish magic. Yeah, it's Jewish magic. It's some like mystic, you know, Kundalini yoga Sanskrit craze. Right. That's really interesting to me. So I've been reading up on it lately. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And that's like the most open I've ever been is like, oh, that's interesting because it didn't feel like organized religion as much. It was a little more spiritual. But anyway, I still don't know shit about it, but I'm, I want I want to learn. It's, it's why the Hasidim have so many damn kids. Because... The, to keep it going? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's sort of like... Oh, in theory, Are you Jewish? Uh, yeah. yeah. Peckerman. Oh, wow. Formerly Peckerman. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, and my dad, who I didn't know, but his last name was Amiel, and he was Israeli. Oh, yeah. So, I like got the half Sephardic, half uh -huh. Ashkenaz going. And, yeah, I'm Ashkenazi, yeah. 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 And like, it's just interesting how, you know, like the Hasidim, in theory, right, because they're like the ultimate Jews, because they sort of devoted their life to adhering to Jewish law and studying the Torah and what have you and everything. Usually their occupation is surrounded, unless they work in the Diamond District in, in Times right. Square, like is surrounded by doing things for the religion. And so their first and foremost thing is procreate. Right. Like have as many kids as possible. Right. And, and I face that too, because I know what you mean. And my wife and I, you know, our kids- Is kid, she Jewish? No, okay. she's Irish Catholic. Okay. And, you know, we joke, like, we're going to have a cashew for a kid. <laughs> ah, that's good. <laughs> but it's funny, because she's very, like, quietly religious in a great way. Right. And, like... She doesn't push it on... Not yeah. at all. That's always... That's... I never really was crazy about that when people try to push their agenda on you. It's like... And what? on either side, right? Yeah. Jewish or not. Yeah, it doesn't like, matter. Whatever. Anything. Anything. Yeah. yeah. 
And so I, but I do wonder, because like, I feel very, and I wonder if it's the same for you, very culturally Jewish. Yes, absolutely. I was talking to my uncle about this recently. I feel connected to the Larry David-isms of yes. the neuroses of being Jewish, but not to the, like, I couldn't, like, f- a few years back, I didn't know the difference between the menorah and the Torah. I didn't know which one you light or which one you read. Like, I really, I would get confused because I never was taught anything. Right. But I felt a connection to the culture. Yeah, and the way of thinking and the the comedic mind, the way it works. That you, ha- if you don't laugh, you'll cry at life. You know what I mean? Like you have to laugh at things because it's so fucked up. You know what I mean? And that's sort of the way of like the Larry David shit, straight. Like Larry David, I'm like, oh my god, that's so fucking how I think sometimes. You know? Yeah, we have a thing about. It's funny. My wife makes this observation, and not that she, you know, she's from NorCal too. She's from Sacramento, mm-hmm. and her family's all like in the East Bay, Arinda, mm-hmm. Danville, and. Mm-hmm. But it's funny how. You know, I don't think she was around many Jews growing up. And so now being around many of my friends who are, she's like, God, when you Jews get together, you really like to talk about Judaism. <laughs> yeah, or, like, the cult, or the cultural side or like, yeah. Yeah, be, yeah. the cultural side because right. like we all have a Jewish mother. Uh-huh. We have like, it's not even generalizing. It's just we have a shared experience, which is specific, which is like you could be Roman Catholic, mm-hmm. Irish Catholic, Brazilian Catholic, mm-hmm. and like you are... You know, that separates you. Like sometimes it's a continent apart, but the Jewish experience is, and as you said, it's such a small group of people. It's very, it's a very specific shared thing. So you could be a Jew from San Francisco or from New York or from Israel. We probably have an ism, something that we could like find common ground about. Yeah, I agree with that. And it's, it's like if I meet somebody else, that's in the tribe, there's an automatic, oh, what's up? Like, it's this yeah. w- a weird thing where it's like, like the black all guy nod. Totally, totally. <laughs> yeah. Well, I feel like the Jewish community is similar to the black community in that, you know, we our peoples were fucked over for so long that that's why black people and Jewish people have a great sense of humor. I think they celebrate life more in there because of all the fucked up shit that's happened to us pretty recently. It ain't that long ago, dude. Where, you know what I mean? Like, think about that shit. It's like, whoa. If you just go backwards, like, I was born in 1974, you go backwards 30 years from then, that's when World War II was. That ain't that long ago. Fuck. Like, no. I've been alive longer from 1974 till now. If you went backwards like it was a pendulum, like, it's not that long ago, you know? Dave Chappelle has that great joke where he says, you can't get into a uh, contest on who suffered more with a Jew. Right. Because the Jews go Holocaust. Right. And then we go, <laughs> yeah. well, slavery. Yeah, yeah. And then they go, well, the Egyptians. Right. <laughs> and he right. goes, damn, I didn't know we were going that, back that far. Jesus. Some real shit. So, so I feel, yeah, I feel a connection to that. And like, it's a weird thing. It's like in our DNA, but I don't, I was never, it was never pushed on me, but it's in there, you know? It's weird. And you're, but you're also, are you the only Jewish supermodel, like <laughs> male model to ever exist? No, I'm sure there's some. Wait, I'm but. trying to think. I mean, I worked, I did that for a couple years in New York, but I'm trying to think if there was any other prob. not really, not really. It was mostly like Aryan looking, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But because I'm half Scottish, English, Irish, like my dad's from a trailer park in Louisiana. You got so a I'm good half mix. red. I'm half redneck. So enough to where I don't look like, you know, completely like a, a caricature of like a Jewish, you <laughs> right, know. Right, like me. Yeah. That's no, like no. Yeah. But you know what I'm talking about, like that real, like, you Larry know, Eastern. You, yeah. You know, uh, I don't think you, I didn't even know you were real. I, I thought you could have been Italian or something. I mean, now that I, I, I get it, but like at first look, you wouldn't be like, oh, you're, you know, you wouldn't really know. So, yeah, I. 
I might be one of the only ones who who maybe went down that fucking road. Who knows? That's so. So what was that like? Well, it was a lot of fun at the time. I was like, I was living in New York City instead of going to college. I got flown to Milan and New York and Paris, and I was like, I don't even know what's going on. Like, I was just like, I didn't even ask for it. I just got approached to do it. I was dating Where, like, this chick, dating this girl who was like a model and I was sitting in the waiting room at an audition for her. So I'm sitting there with her kid on my lap, her three-year-old kid. I was in way over my head. I was dating this girl and I was maybe 18 and I'm sitting there with her kid on my lap in the waiting room. And they came outside of the client, like when you're in an audition or a casting rather, I guess for casting for a modeling job. And she came out and they're like, who's that? She's like, Oh, that's just my boyfriend. And they're like, Oh, he'd be great for this job. So, I ended up getting flown to Milan for the job she went in for, no. and that, the rest is history. And then I went and I got a job at MTV after that, and then I got approached by Gus Van Sant when I was working at MTV. He directed like Goodwill Hunting and Drugstore Cowboy. He's one of my favorite directors. So one he calls best. MTV and he's like, "Hey, I want to read Simon for a movie." So I went and read with Matt Damon and him for Goodwill Hunting for this little role of a bully that Matt Damon beats up. It's like one line, and I went in there to the audition. And I read the lines and Gus Van Sant stops me. And he's like, stop, stop. He's like, Simon, that might be the worst audition I've ever seen. No. And Matt Damon looks at the ground. He's like, Whew. and I'm like, yeah, I've never done this before. I don't know what I'm doing. He's like, it's okay. You're not ready for this, but I'm going to send you to an acting coach because you have something. You're just not ready. So he sent me to this like method class in the theater district in New York on like 45th Street. Who so was I just, it? It was named Anthony Abeson. He's like a real actor coach, like real actors coach like like Stanislavski method all this crazy shit so I just jumped in I'm like fuck it I'll try this why not and just learned some basics you know what I mean enough to where I could do better at an audition if I'm called in mm. and then uh worked for MTV for a couple years which was amazing because this is like 96 97 when MTV was all that was popping this was like there was no internet social media none of that so the only place people would go for what's cool was MTV. So I was like a VJ. Me, I'm interviewing Tupac. I'm interviewing Howard Stern. I mean, I met everybody in Did two you? years. Yeah. What was Pac like? He was the coolest ever. I, it's funny. I, I always say like, people always say like, who's the most impressive star you ever met? And I'm usually underwhelmed. Like when I meet someone that's a big star, I'm like, that's it? Mm. I'm like, I don't... Because I, I, people I'm usually like, disappoint. Usually. Tupac, on the other hand, and I'm not even a huge Tupac fan, and I'm from the Bay. I like if you argue who's better, Biggie or Pac, I'm going Biggie all day. But Pac had something about him that was magic. Like when he walked in the room, he lit up a room like no one I've ever seen. It was crazy. So I get it. Like he had that star quality. He was he was special. And I remember I like smoked a blunt. I was done. I was working at MTV in like '97. It was, dude. I was one of the last people to interview him before he died. And I was working. We were in LA. I was working on location because we're out of New York. So I'm in LA at some event, and I finished working. So I smoke a blunt with my producer at MTV. We're smoking a blunt. All of a sudden, they go, "Tupac just got here. You have to interview him live." Oh. And geez. I go, "I'm high as fuck." They go, "Don't worry. So is he." Camera, lights, live TV, and I'm sitting there with Tupac, and I'm so high that I got nervous. You could look it up. If you look on YouTube, type in Simon Rex Tupac interview, you'll see it. And I'm just like looking at the floor like Matt Damon was at my audition, like uncomfortable. <laughs> and he just fucking lit it up, dude. Like he was so fucking incredible. 
And then like six months later or less, he was killed. It was crazy. So I think I was the last person at MTV to interview him. He had other interviews after, but I was like the last MTV interview. And how does he walk in with a huge crew? He walked in with Buckshot from Black Moon. And I'm a big fan of them too. Like this is some, I, I imagine most of you listeners might not know who this is, but there was a really dope rap group in New York. I lived in New York 93 to 98. So I was there during like the golden age of rap, you know, like Wu-Tang Clan, Nas, Mob Deep. Like I was there when it all broke and I was at MTV working there when it all, I was a part of it, you know? And Black Moon was one of those rap groups that was like really dope, you know? So he came in with Buckshot from Black Moon and some other, I think he was with like Smith and Wesson or something, like some of that crew. New York rappers, like Brooklyn rappers, which was interesting to me. I'm like, oh, Tupac's with all these Brooklyn rappers. Like, what's going on here? Yeah, this was before enemies. social media. So yeah, so you'd, you wouldn't see what people were doing. You just, whoa, what the fuck are they doing together? Nowadays, you'd be like, oh, I see so-and-so's together, you know? Right. So I remember tripping on that when they came in and I was really stoned. They came in together. I was like, whoa, no way. They know each other? Like, and this was during, you remember, the beef between the East Coast and the West Coast. Everyone. It was a huge, you know, literally people were getting shot over coast. And he was hanging with the East Coast. It was weird. I remember tripping on that. And he wasn't with like Sugar or anyone no, like that. No, he wasn't. This time. was, but it was after, because he was promoting, um, ain't nothing but a gangsta party. Him and Snoop song. That yeah. was the song that we threw to. So he had just broke that song. So that was like the new, so he just signed or he was already on death row. Guys, we got another ad for you. So get excited. All right. But you know, duh. listen, I know it's not that exciting. An ad is an ad is an ad, but you know what? This one might really help you. Right, trust me. Are you listening? All right, get excited. Civic tax relief. All right, if you are drowning in IRS tax debt, please get ready to take down this number to take advantage of new IRS tax forgiveness programs that may help free yourself from IRS collection agencies. The IRS has recently hired private debt collection agencies to start collecting your outstanding taxes. They can already garnish your wages. Yeah, put liens on your property, dude, and levy your bank account. Come on. If you are drowning in IRS tax debt, the people at Civic Tax Relief can help protect you from IRS collection agencies. Stop the added fees and wage garnishments and finally break free from the IRS. Call Civic Tax Relief for free information now. Find out about the Fresh Start program that is now available through Civic Tax Relief. Check out our outstanding four-star reviews from our clients, Civic Tax Relief Special Tax Hotline can help to discover all the relief programs you qualify for free. Just call 1-800-375-1173. 1-800-375-1173. Don't wait. The consultation, it's free. The information, it's free. This call could save you thousands. Call now, one 800 375 1173 1-800- Three seven five one one seven three. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over seventy percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Was there anyone yeah. else in that? Because I'm fascinated and I agree with you. It's funny. 
I, I did this movie, this uh, breakdancing movie called uh, Battle of the Year with Chris Brown. Uh-huh. And obviously, like, Chris Brown, you know, is a super polarizing figure. And, and I can only speak to my experience with him because he started the movie, um, which was he couldn't have been lovelier to me. Right. But what I will say is he had that magic yeah. that you're talking about. I could about. see that on him. I remember we were shooting. He's in, got it. Like, it, it was crazy. We're, we're shooting in France. He was on tour, and we were shooting half the movie in France where the battle of the year is the biggest B-boy battle in the What year was this movie? 2013. Okay. Oh, really? that was kind of recently. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't see that one. I, well, a lot of people didn't. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, uh, so, half the movie's in LA, half the movie's in France, and I'm there with, like, the 15 best B-boys in the world. And Chris was only in the LA side of the movie, so we're there, and he shot one day in France because there was a really pivotal battle scene he had to be in. Flies in like the night before, gets like two hours of sleep, hasn't trained with these guys. And B-boys, they're really like, besides being incredible dancers, they're like gymnasts. Their ability to like throw themselves up and do crazy aerial maneuvers. And I just remember Chris Brown, all six one of him, walks on stage, they, they say action, and he blows the doors off this place to the point where they wanted to move on and he was so specific with his movements then he said no you got to give me another one like because there was like one elbow spin thing that wasn't quite perfect that i want to make sure and i remember feeling that like intangible energy he cared yeah yeah and that like he knew enough he was savvy enough to know too like that he could have done it better and yeah he wasn't lazy wasn't lazy yeah. and it wasn't fair right like because i immediately so went talented. Yeah, because I'm looking at all these guys who had devoted their lives, and they're brilliant breakdancers, and then here's this guy who is an entertainer but doesn't do this specific craft alone. See, that's what I think. Some people are born with that thing. Yeah. Um, I think that applies to comedy, too, Like, because I remember going to like improv classes in New York when I lived out there just because I was trying stand-up, and I wanted to just sharpen the blade. So I was going to these improv classes, and I remember no one was funny, including the teacher, and I go, oh, shit you can't learn comedy. You either got it or you don't. And I think dancing and having that thing is kind of similar. Like, yeah, you could technically learn the moves, but if you ain't got that in you, yeah. you don't have the soul to really do it. It ain't like, some people are just born with that shit. You know what I mean? Like, it's like a sensibility for the comedy or it's like a natural gift for dancing or singing. Like, yeah, I could go, I don't know how to sing. I could probably go take vocal lessons right now and technically sing, but like, some motherfuckers just got it. You know what I mean? It's a weird thing. It's like a gift you're born with. And, so, and I think yeah. what's, what's sexy or alluring about that is like, I love, I mean, people love confidence. They love, and it's not like cockiness or, or bravado or what have you. It's just this ability in which to, to convey like, I got this. I think it must be primordial. It's like an alpha mentality in male and female, but it's just like, I'm going to deliver what we need here. Uh, I agree with you. And I think that it's actually something more, in addition to what you said, because you're right. I actually was just reading about this. There's a book called Trying Not to Try. Mm. And it's all about the flow state. And when somebody, they break down the science of flow. And when you're in the flow state is when you're not thinking and you're just doing. And when you're not thinking and you're just doing is when the magic happens because you're not thinking about it. So they were explaining that people are attracted to the flow state. So if you see Steph Curry hitting threes or, or, or you see Chris Brown dancing or Tupac in an interview, like you feel that flow state that they're in, that's attractive and people are drawn to that, that, uh, that, uh, that frequency. Mm. And 
like there's this whole book was explaining it uh and the chinese call it the wu wei which is the flow that means like when you're not trying and so the book was interesting because it's like well how do you how do you try not to try because then you're trying it's a conundrum right how do you try not to try so it explains that if if you either are gifted enough or you put in the work enough to like for instance steph curry's shot enough threes to when he goes in the game he could tap into that flow state kobe did it uh jordan was in that flow state it was magic to watch and you watch and you just you don't even realize how mesmerized you are because they're just tapped into something else and it's that flow state dude that's like a it's interesting shit yeah, Did there's a whole he- book on flow too. I'm not gonna remember the like. He's like a Polish author's name. It's a very hard name to pronounce, but there's a whole book on flow and it explains all that shit. It's crazy. Did you hear that um, when people would talk about Kobe and say that whether he won or lost a game, he would shoot 500 free throws after the game? I believe it. Some of those guys do that kind of extra. They go extra, and you can. That's what separates them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but I also think it's, I think Tom Brady, Kobe, these people, like, I don't know. I actually, I do know. <laughs> I don't know if I have that thing, which is five rings later at 41 or 40, Tom Brady still wants to win. I would venture to say more than the 23-year-old on that field who's fighting for his contract. Yeah, I think that's something that's in you too. I mean, maybe that's learned. I don't know because I certainly don't have that. Me I'm either. a pretty lazy motherfucker. Like <laughs> I, I'm, I just kind of cruise by doing as little as possible to make enough money to eat all right and have this humble abode. I don't need much more, you know. And the older I get, the less I realize I need. So I'm not too driven, which maybe is a bad thing. I don't know, but I definitely don't have that. So I don't know. But yeah, some people just you know, go-getters like that. It's crazy. I, I, I wish I was like that more, you know? But whatever, it's what it is. I think it's, I don't know if that's learned. I think, the, I think you either got that or you don't, but I don't know. I don't know if I could go learn that is my point. I don't know if I could go, like, maybe if I had somebody like a fucking Mr. Miyagi teach me the way or right. something, then maybe. But at this point. I think it's, maybe you had to get less hugs growing up. I don't know yeah. what it is. Right? Yeah, maybe it was a father Deep issue. Yeah, me. maybe it was like, because a lot of the, like, Tiger Woods' dad was a strict motherfucker. Or like, you know, maybe Kobe's dad was a basketball player in Italy. Maybe he was a strict, maybe it's a lot of childhood shit, you know, who knows? Right. Do you think uh, there's a great year? Have you ever seen the movie uh, Searching for Bobby Fischer? Yeah, but not in a long time. And I smoked a lot of weed, so I forget, <laughs> which is the best part about seeing a movie because I'll watch a movie three years later. And at the very last five minutes, I'm like, I've seen this. Yes. So it's like I get to see a movie again. But anyway. Beautiful. Yet but another I don't benefit. remember. That's the, the, the uh, chess movie? Yeah, yeah the yeah. chess kid. And there's this great scene where uh, the father of the, the chess prodigy is having this fight with his wife and because she feels like he's too intense and too on top of it. And, and the kid is like lashing out and not performing like he was. And she's like, do you think how many ball players or athletes are worried that their dad is going to, you know, be disappointed if they don't perform at the level that they should be? And he looks at her and goes, all of them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess maybe some are maybe more strict than others, you know? Right. Uh, But that makes sense. You know, maybe, maybe Tom Brady had a, the crazed dad on his case. He's from the Bay too, actually. He's from, yeah, he's from the East Bay. He's from like where your girl's from, or she's from Sacramento, but her folks are in Danville, you said. I think he's like from that area, like something like that. But anyway, yeah. So maybe he had the crazy fucking pops, you know? Yeah. 
that's something I, I never really had the strict dad around. So I'm the total opposite. I was just left to my own devices to do whatever the fuck I want, which was a blessing in itself too. Cause I just, you know, didn't really have the strict regime, you know, my parents are hippies and like, whatever. <laughs> but had I had that instilled at a young age, maybe I'd be more disciplined. You know what I mean? But whatever, it's what it is. Uh, I, maybe it's better to not be that way. Maybe like, I don't know. I get, I don't gauge like success by how much money you made or like, cause I don't know. Sometimes those people aren't happy. You know, I look at, most, I look at Tiger times. Woods. He doesn't look like a happy person. Do you no, know what I'm saying? Like, all. yeah, he's the fucking illest ever. And he changed the sport, but like, I look at him and he looks like a tortured soul. It's fascinated. Uh, I'm fascinated by what was instilled in him for this need to, I, I mean, I guess I understand like uh, there are many people that perhaps don't want to be married, but want to have a family. Right. But had he never gotten married and done that whole domestic institution thing for the, the, the public and was just like a low key stick man, the greatest golfer in the world who stayed single and was like a DiCaprio, like slept with beautiful women and had a great time. Like, it just seems like that could have been his secret sauce. He wouldn't have had all this like... There's not too many Leos though. Most people, you know, don't stay single into their 40s. Sure. Uh, so I don't think he's different for that. I think he's normal for that. I think a lot of people probably get married and don't want to. You know what I mean? I think a lot of, I think people feel pressure from their family and society to like get married and have kids and maybe they don't even want it, you know? Obviously, like Chris Rock said, a man is only as faithful as his options. <laughs> So he had options. Like, let's be real. He's all over, you know, he's fucking Tiger Woods. So same with Kobe. He got options. You know what I mean? It's a different ball game for those guys, you know? They can't go anywhere. They're getting it thrown at them all the time. I understand that on a much smaller scale. You know, sure. it's been challenging enough for me to even, I'm older now, so I can control myself. When I was younger, that's hard to handle those temptations when you're on the road and girls know who you are. It's like, you're just a fucking human, you know? It's funny. So. It seems to me like the last frontier for most men is that I'll see certain like captains of industry or titans where they either in business or in the arts or whatever, they will have overcome every obstacle to become rich, famous, powerful. Sometimes they've conquered like substance abuse and like all these challenges to have literally accrued like the greatest life and they fall victim to sex. Or like, it's the one thing that, and maybe they don't want to do it perfectly, but like they'll have everything perfect on paper, but they cheat on their wife on a regular basis or whatever. I have a theory about that and maybe I'm wrong, but I think a lot of people um, like Harvey Weinstein, he's obviously the extreme example on the scale, but I think some people that grew up without getting that attention in high school or whatever when they're younger and then they go get the money and the power then they use it the wrong way and they don't have game and they don't know how to handle the women and they don't know how to just be a g and instead they do creepy shit and they fuck up and they, because they never had it before you know what i'm saying does that make sense like yes like uh somebody like leo i mean obviously he was an actor when he was a teenager so he was always exposed to that but I don't know. Some people get the they they get that later in life, and then they use it the wrong way. And it, I don't know. That's yeah, like, I don't know if I'm wording that rightly, but in my head, it makes sense. But like, yeah, that's what I think that is. Often, often, maybe not for everybody, but you know, power and money is a funny thing that fucks people up. You know. I remember. I think Russell Brand once said, "My exploits sexually, like the the sheer number of people who I've slept with, is you know uh, that's the most extreme of my exploits in the sense of like I've been with a lot of people, but it's pretty much old fashioned, mm -hmm. straightforward, 
you know, sex, like a right. nice time. Like no one's getting, you know, there's no bondage or right, crazy right. toy. I relate to, I'm the same way. Like yeah. I'm not a freaky motherfucker. Like I hear stories and I got a buddy of mine who's like a yogi who studies tantric sex and he's like a black belt sexual like yogi guy and he's telling me all these crazy stories and how he could tap into this magic place and control his shit and all this crazy. I'm like, whoa, man, I'm so not even exposed to that. Like I'm just a basic motherfucker. Like three positions, like Stoked. on top from the back or ride like i don't even get that crazy <laughs> like i'm not into any weird shit and i i guess at this point in the game like i'm 44 years old i'd probably know if i had some like weird fetish or something but yeah and, the, and even the older you get kind of the more simple for me at least like i don't know i'm i relate to russell brand it was more of like a it was like who are the numbers or the quality, but not the actual freakiness or right. the weirdness. I always yeah, you hear weird stories around town too about people, but yeah. I always just subscribe to the old like. I'm just stoked. I'm still so um, uh, delighted that there's someone there joining me. Yeah, <laughs> because I did it alone for right, so many right, years. Right, 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 and I still do it alone. Yeah, I'm in a long distance relationship, uh, and. Yeah, I get it, man. Like, I, it's funny. We, I was talking about this with my girl today because I went to get a massage with my buddy last night. Um, and we went to just some massage spot right here in Santa Monica. No happy endings, none of that. No sad endings. It was just a normal massage. But it was like this nice old Chinese lady. And she was giving me like a head rub at the end. And I remember feeling like this kind of sadness because I was just getting my head scratched by this old lady. And it was like so sweet. And she was just scratching my head like a girlfriend would kind of, not affectionately, but just like rubbing the back of my neck. And I hit my girl up. I'm like, man, I'm lonely out here. Like, I'm like, oh, this woman's like rubbing my head. I'm like, that's all I want is to have my head scratched. Like, touch. that's enough. Yeah. I don't get enough human touch. And I think we all are like, we're also connected on our phone and on like all social media and all these, like we're connected all these other ways. But then in person, we're disconnected so much. Like I was reading this thing earlier that like, in 1940, 5% of the United States lived alone. Now, 25% of the country lives alone, including myself, which is why depression is so high. So, you know, people aren't happy. Suicide's higher than ever because nobody's really connecting on a, per on a human level. That's why I like podcasts because you really, like me and you will get to know each other more in this hour or however long this is than we have in the seven or eight years since I've kind of known you. You right. know what I mean? And it's like the phones are off, you put them away and you get into a conversation that you never would anymore these days because you'd be on your phone, or you'd be distracted. So the podcasts are a great way to kind of have a, a, a connection. You know what I mean? I think that's right. It's true. And I think it definitely applies for obviously like, you know, like a relationship like a, a a significant other you know we i think so many people are hooking up and meeting online and stuff but there's really not like a i think i feel like millennials these days and maybe i'm wrong but like they don't know how to go approach a woman in real life but they do it on the phone really good and they know how to like hit up a chick and slide in her dms or whatever but the game of like rolling up to a girl at the bus stop is like a lost art or something you know oh, oh well the person to person contact is sort of going the way of I mean, it, it, it's interesting too now with like where people will say, well, 
because now there's a diagnosis for everything, right? Like, well, I'm, I, I have social anxiety or I have X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, just because there's a name for it doesn't mean it's okay to have. Right. And like, I, that's what I want to tell people, like, to a certain extent, like, because I think people use that as a excuse to say, well, I have this thing and it's been diagnosed by, you know, someone who went to school for a long time. So I don't have to push myself. I'm like, no, no, no it doesn't make it okay. Like, get out there, yeah. go to Starbucks and buy your coffee and talk to the person behind the counter for 90 seconds as opposed to postmating it because you're afraid to leave your house. And you know, it's funny because I lived half of my life before this cell phone internet world that we're in. So I kind of have a reference point to be like, oh, I remember like back when I was in New York, shit was real. Like you just had to, if you told someone you were going to be at the corner of 14th and 6th, you had to be there. It wasn't like you could text them, hey, I'm running. Like you had, you had people were a man of their word or, or woman of their word. People, it just shit was more real. I feel like everyone's just gotten a little more flaky and it's it's just made humans worse than instead of better, you know? And yeah, I could go on this topic all day because I'm guilty of it too, though. I notice in myself, like, I've become more of a recluse and I've become less. Like, I lived in Laurel Canyon for 13 years and I had this little treehouse tucked up away on, like, Mulholland and Laurel. Yeah, Hollywood Hills. Yeah, Hollywood Hills. And I was so anti-social and secluded and I'd order my food and like you know I'd open the door and the guy would have the food and I'd like would barely even make <laughs> eye contact and like I felt like a fucking phantom Dracula, of the yeah, fucking vampire <laughs> up in the fucking hills like giving my food and no human contact like not okay and and I just saw something today too that 10 years ago people ate meals together way more and people are eating alone way more and ordering food and how, that, how isolated everyone is is really bad we're social monkeys have you heard, do you know what mukbangs are? No. All right, so I do YouTube, and this is a huge YouTube trend, which I've capitalized on because it does well. School me. It's people eating on camera. So it started in Korea. It's a Korean word. Was oh, it the, like the noise? That... That's ASMR, which okay. is a whole other oh, thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But this is like people, it started with people just eating like noodles or big dishes in front of the camera and like pure mukbang is people just eating well how do you say it? mukbang mukbang oh is that oh that's korean yes mukbang okay mukbang and it used to be just people eating and there was like some fetishized thing to watch it was usually a pretty girl eating now a lot of people and i'll just and basically it's a podcast where we eat for me, like what I'll, but on camera. So I'll sit with a buddy, we'll get like some fun food and we'll just chop it up for a half hour and I'll film it and I'll put it on YouTube. But the feedback that I get at times from people is like, thank you for this because I eat alone a lot oh, and I play this. That's while so I'm crazy. Eating. And in Japan too, they have these things where, cause I was, ta I, this came up when I was like talking to my chick about like getting my head scratched. And I found out that in Japan, people pay to cuddle. They have like cuddle sessions no. with strangers and eye contact because people are so deprived of these simple human things like eye contact and touch because everyone's so fucking fucked up. And especially in Japan, they're very sexually like oppressed, like worse than Americans and we're pretty bad. But there they pay to go cuddle with strangers, spoon, whatever, no sex, just spoon, clothes on. Nothing weird. I mean, it is weird, but you know. Yes. Yeah, and then eye contact, the staring into a stranger's eyes, just to have that feeling of like somebody's looking at, like, because we're so fucked up, dude. Yes, sir. Glad to bring you another ad. I know you were like, hold on, pardon this interruption. What is happening here? Am I getting an ad? Because if so, I'm all ears, please. And I hope it's a long one, guys. Um. 
other than your absolute best friends, okay, I'm talking besties, who could you ask to bring you red wine at 4 p.m., sushi at 9 p.m., and a breakfast burrito at 8 a.m.? Postmates. Postmates is your personal food delivery, grocery delivery, whatever you can think of delivery service all year round. I'm not joking around here, guys. I've had people Postmate like I'm talking Apple AirPod headphones. I'm talking uh, Post-its. I'm talking uh, weird things from from the pharmacy. You don't want to know. Anyway, no more trips to the store. You don't even have to know where the store is. Postmates will deliver anything to you. Download the app for iOS or Android for free. Browse local restaurants and businesses and track your delivery. 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. Postmates will bring you what you want within the hour. Anything you're craving. Postmates can deliver. They're the largest on-demand network in the known universe with more than 25,000 partner merchants. The universe, guys, they, look, they won. Maybe someone outside like the the Milky Way could, you know, talk some of that mess, but for now, Postmates is the clear winner. Anyway, for a limited time, Postmates is giving our listeners $100, $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days. To start your free deliveries, download the app right now and use code CURIOUS. That's code CURIOUS for $100 or free delivery credit for your first seven days when you download the Postmates app. Get anything you need, anytime you need it. Download Postmates and save with code CURIOUS. A hundred bucks. So before you were with your girlfriend, did you do the dating apps thing? Uh, Raya? Yeah, I did. (laughs) I did. And it usually was more of a party vibe than it was like, you know, it was just like to meet a a chick that, you know, was like. But Raya is so fascinating because it's literally like. I'm going to the guy who created its dinner tonight. No. Yeah, yeah, my boy started it. Oh my God. What's he like? He's a great guy. His name's my boy Mike. He's like uh, my boy from the Bay, and he's like one of the guys that started it. And but it's it's basically like top shelf dating app, right? Yeah, it's like, it's like the VIP of the club. You know, super. <laughs> I've tried to get so many of my boys on it, and they only let like I. I think I've tried to get twenty homies on there, and maybe I've gotten two, and that was like really a stretch to get them on. Because you need to be like verified on yeah, Instagram. Yeah, all that shit. Something. Like I got homies with like a million followers on Twitter or Instagram, and they're like, "Nope, he doesn't fit what we want here." My boy was like a star on YouTube and Instagram and all that shit, and he can't get on there. He's like, "What the fuck?" You know, it's crazy. It's that, very like selective. And once you're out, are you always out, or can you reapply? I'm out. But I'm sure I could go reapply if I wanted to. Oh, but no, yeah. I'm saying if you, but you were in. Yeah, I went, I was on it. No, yeah. I mean like if you get rejected. Oh, yeah, yeah. Can you reapply like six months later? Maybe you book oh, like I a see. sitcom yeah, on maybe, CBS or maybe. some shit. <laughs> I know that they have like a staff, like, cause my boy would always tell me, he's like, yo, it's not up to me. I got to run it through the crew. So they have like a group and if the majority wins, then they get on. So fascinating. Yeah. I don't know if he's telling me that, may, I, I imagine that's the truth. That's probably what it is. So it's not just his call, because if it was just his call, he'd probably hook my boys up. But he's like, yo, it's not on me only. I got to run it through my partners. And they all decide together if you're cool enough or not. And it's ridiculous, because then it makes everybody want to get on it more. But I never did like the other ones because like I'm kind of recognizable. So like I didn't want to get, I didn't want to play myself and get like jacked. Like I'd be worried. Yeah. Or I'd be worried that I'd get robbed or some shit. Like I just don't trust it, you know? So it was almost like for, for people like, for like me who are in Hollywood or whatever, I think it's a safer place to meet people because it's like 
minded people or people that understand a little you know what i mean does that make mm. sense yeah and yeah i mean like, it's definitely cheesy and kind of douchey but I, yeah there's no way to talk about it without sounding like a prick but yeah I, it's <laughs> funny though i was looking through my buddy because you know I'm, I, I was never around for dating apps because i've been with my wife for seven years and so i'll be fascinated though my friends on raya and i was like can i see like the interface or who you're getting hit up by and so i'm looking through these people's profile and it's like one after another of like, just looks like Instagram, Instagram's finest. I'm like, it just looks like a 20 something girl blogger who travels too much. Mm -hmm. I don't know where they make their money or how they can sustain their livelihood. And they just, and they kind of like, there'll be like eight pictures in a row, which look incredible. But then there'll be like one picture where I'm like, is that what you really look like? You know, like when they have a one picture, where I'm like, is that like, that's not perfect lighting and it sort of captures them because you know we all have our our greatest hits of right, photos where right, we look right. we look the way we wish people would see us. Yeah, there's a whole. I mean, there's a whole psychology behind the whole Instagram thing. Like, I feel like you can look at someone's Instagram and gauge them pretty quick. Like, if it's just selfie, 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 selfie. Like, I don't, I don't like that. You know what I mean? Like, that's a little self-involved and or affirmations. Yeah, and just like hustle. It, it's just everyone. Well, here's here's the way I look at it. Like, because of Instagram, it's a platform where everyone's famous now at some level at least in their mind and my boy was over here the other day and he was like oh, i'm really into this chick check out her page and the first thing he showed me of her was like her you know she has eight thousand followers and in her mind she's probably like and i don't mean to sound mean but i'm just saying in her mind she's probably like famous because she's got eight thousand followers and that's like to some people that's a big deal and she was like talking to the camera going to all my haters out there did it like get the fuck out. to all my haters out there like who everyone's like on that tip now and it's like i don't it's a turn off to me you know i have friends who have like a smaller following which is like all good like grind do your thing yeah of but course they'll just do certain cringy things where they'll be like yo i just want to talk to all the fans real quick and i'll be like yo, the fans yeah like there's 2200 people here my boy there's a lot of delusional shit going on out there and i think instagram is changing like if if someone hacked Instagram and deleted it, there'd be blood in the streets, dude. It would be like people's lives are dependent on that shit. It's crazy. And and I know my, like some of my friends are killing it on there, on mm. YouTube. Some of our Vine people that we know of, obviously Vine's not around anymore, and they've taken it to Instagram, and they're fucking making a good living off their phone without the Hollywood infrastructure. Oh, they got I'm YouTube, one of them. You know I'm what I'm blessed. saying? YouTube Thank and, God. And, and, yeah, me too. I'm one of them too on a yeah. much smaller scale. But no, I know. I just mean. went out to World Cup with some of those big, you know, like I went out there with um, Rudy Mancuso and I Hannah Stocking and and um, all those like that crew, the Shots crew or whatever. In and Russia, just, yeah, we went to Russia and then Ibiza, and we're balling out of control. I'm like, yo, I've been around this game for a long time with like big motherfuckers. Like you guys are killing it as hard as any top A-list shit I've been around. Right. Off your fucking phone? This is amazing. So, like, all the power to them. They're obviously the top, top 1%. I'm more speaking about the people that are, like, getting a little caught up in the fucking madness that, you know, they, they're really making a good living on there. I get it. But some people are really gassed up in their head about it all, you know? I wanted to ask but, you. Dude, whatever. All the power to them. Who gives a fuck? <laughs> you know? What was it like? you know, being uh, unintentionally a, a model. And I'm fascinated by, you know, because I, I've always been, uh, I, I've never had a lot of value in my present or in my, um, my outward appearance. And, and if anything, growing up like a fat kid, I actually always, you know, my appearance was always associated with a negative uh -huh. for me. So I'm fascinated for you. Like, 
was it a trip? Did you have a moment when you start getting these insane jobs and you're traveling the world as a model where you're like, wow, my looks are currency. Like there's a value to my looks. You know, I don't know if I ever really thought about it until it was like over. Cause I only, I did it for like two years, two or three years. And I was just happy to be like in Italy or Paris and you and you're like it's interesting because like as a male model at the time like it's one of the only industries where dudes are kind of at the bottom and women run that shit right, right. and like most porn. businesses yeah most <laughs> yeah. businesses it's it's men that run everything and women so this is one of the few ones where like if you're a, a guy modeling you ain't making as much money as you think but i was making for me at the time it was enough where i'm like damn i got a, a little tiny apartment in paris and i got a baguette and cheese and a little cheap wine like i'm chilling you know what i mean like that was enough and i'm around all these like good looking model girls and i'm getting paid you know maybe you know, I remember like, I don't care, I'll talk about it, like maybe 350 bucks for the day to do some shoot or some fitting or something. And that was like a lot of money in 1994, sure. you know, especially from, come, I was working in a potato sack factory in Oakland, driving a forklift, cleaning toilets, janitorial work to go to that was like, whoa, I could make money just standing here. Like, I didn't have that confidence. I didn't think, I, like, I didn't, I don't understand. I still don't think that way. Like, I, I, I don't really understand I didn't think like that. Like you said, I was never like, whoa, my looks are a commodity. I was just like, what's going on? And I still kind of think that way. Maybe I'm just naive, but I never was really like caught up in it all because I'd go to like a casting and there'd be other dudes sitting there and everyone's like competing to be better looking. I'm like, this is fucking lame. And I always knew I wanted to do something where I could speak or say something. So then when I got the opportunity at like MTV and with Gus Van Sant, I was like, I jumped at that because I'm like, I got something to say. I don't right. want to just stand here like a mannequin. I can get out. Yeah, I want to do something like, I remember in Paris, when I lived in Paris, it would say like mannequin, it would say mannequin with an arrow and they meant models this way. And I, I, re I realized, I'm like, we're just a fucking mannequin. It ain't about us. It's about the clothes and all these models are all caught up when we do runway shows that it's about you. It's like, you're just a coat hanger, bro. Like, Did you have to learn how to walk? I mean, no. For a guy, you just walk. I think like the women where you got to strut. As a guy, you just kind of like walk normal. Like I, <laughs> I don't think I ever had to be taught how to walk. If anything, I think they might have told me to... You know, may, I don't even remember. This was twenty fucking years no ago. No expression. But maybe like less. I probably walked a little more like a b boy or something because I, you know, thought I was cool and they just walk normal or something like that. Yeah. Uh, but I don't even remember. What's it like backstage for those huge runway shows like in Paris Fashion Week? Right, it, I'll tell you. Yeah. I've been in the music industry. I've been in the television and film industry. I've been in the MTV industry and I've been in the fashion industry. The fashion industry is the fucking weirdest. It's the weirdest people. It's the most fucking crazy. Like ego blown out of proportion madness you've ever seen you know what i mean because everyone's so fucking over the top with their you know the stylists and the hair person and everyone's just so fabulous and you're in europe with all these people and they're just so and it's about the clothes it's about fashion which is an art so these motherfuckers are like artists you know and i just remember i was just the whole time i'm just like i'm just a prop like they don't give a fuck about me i'm a coat hanger i'm a mannequin so yeah, I remember there was just like the people were like the weirdest. And trust me, you know, the music industry in Hollywood's got some weird motherfuckers, but the fashion industry was the weirdest. Oh, I'm sure. Just the agents and everyone. It was just such like, it was like, Zool it, that's why when Zoolander came out, I remember thinking this movie ain't going to do well. No one's going to understand these jokes. I get it because I've been on, you know, I know these guys that they're spoofing, but the movie somehow translated to everybody, to middle America and everyone laughed at it. I was totally wrong. But but it, it, it was pretty on point. Like, it wasn't that far off. Like, you know, like the... 
the poses and the care. It, was, it wasn't that exaggerated. It's really like that. You Did know? you meet any other male models that were cool or were they mostly shitheads? Mostly shitheads. <laughs> yeah. Mostly shitheads. But I still have a few core group of friends, like a few of my boys that I met that we would like, you kind of just click up with your like-minded people. Like you'd live in a, we would live in model apartments in like Milan and you'd show up and like I'd find someone that played basketball and I'd go play ball with them or someone that smoked hash and be friends with them. And you kind of just click up with who you vibe like-minded. with. Like-minded. Yeah. Yeah, so I still to this day have friends from back in, in that era that are still my closest friends because, you know, you have a, you're out in Europe and you don't know anyone and you just, like, this is, again, before cell phones and internet, so you just have to show up in Milan and they give you a map and you got to figure it out. You got to find the train station and you don't speak Italian and you got to work with, you got to meet, oh, you've been here before, where am I going? Oh, it's, the, you know, kind of that shit. So you bond with people pretty quick because you're just in a foreign land and you don't have any friends, so... You live in a building with 70 fucking people. It's pretty nuts. I remember, I remember the, first, the first day I got there, I was with my boy from L.A. who I knew already. And we get to Milan and we go to check in. We move there the first day in Milan. And my boy goes to like check in to meet his roommate in the apartment. And he opens the door and this dude's just fucking a girl. Great. Yeah, great. And he's like, yo, close the door. He's from Queens. He's my boy, Joey Prego. He's still one of my best friends to this day. I didn't know at the time he was going to become my very close friend. But my boy's like, he comes down all beat red. I'm like, what happened? He's like, dude, I just opened the door and some dude's fucking some chick. I just saw his ass in the air. Oh my God. And then the next day I go into like a hallway to like walk down the stairs. I'm on like the third floor or something. And I walk down the stairs and I just see this dude ripping a chick in the hallway. And he looks at me and he smiles and keeps ripping. I'm like, this is fucking crazy. Jesus. Yeah, it was like that because if you think about it, it's just like models together, 20 years old, drinking and halfway around the world. Everyone's going to be fucking. It's like college. You I'm know? so glad that that's what it was because yeah. that's what I think we all imagine it is. Yeah. Like just good looking people hooking up yeah. with other good looking people. And, and then it was all this weird politics like the local Italians that ran in Milan that ran like the nightclubs and the restaurants. They would bring all the hot girls to the dinners and the parties but the dudes weren't allowed sure they didn't want us fucking the girls they wanted to fuck the girls so they'd be like these italian gangster dudes that like ran it and if you were lucky you got to go to these dinners with the dudes and like i remember oh this is a really funny story i'm gonna tell it fuck it i remember this one time this is really funny this one time i this girl i won't say her name she brings me to a dinner she's like i could bring you to a dinner with the italian guys i'm like really they never let us guys go she's like i got you so we go to this dinner they don't like me i'm just the guy in the way they just want to fuck this girl and i'm she brings me and it was like weird and so i end up going home and hooking up with her at her crib and then the next day again this is no cell phones no internet so you're just living life and then the next day I go out again and I go home with some other chick and I wake up in her bed and I walk out in the living room. It's the same apartment. They were roommates. Great. And I walk out and they're both drinking coffee, looking at me, shaking their head like this <laughs> motherfucker. And I'm just like, oh, <laughs> like it was the best slash worst ever. Like I felt like such a pig, but I'm like, whatever. This is what it's about, right? Oh Fuck it. God. And then like, you can't be mad. Like... They, you know what I mean? Like it was That's just a out memory. of a fucking movie. It was like fucking amazing. You weren't going to marry either nah. of them. That's a memory you want forever. That is worth the momentary, perhaps slight I bit mean, of shame. And that had. was like, the, uh, that was as like sleazy as it got. It was like, oh, I hooked up with the roommate the next day. You know, but it it's wasn't like, her it's sister. Like it's like You're college. living. What? Um, <laughs> How fucking funny is that? I forgot about that. 
uh, wait, I had one more question about the, oh, um, to put, you know, my, like, obviously I've lost a lot of weight and I've worked really hard to be in shape and yet I've realized something. It's fucking comes down to genetics inevitably, right? Like, like your body, the way you look, the way models look and shit. Like I will see people who will like walk on the runway with an eight pack and then eat a cheeseburger after and it won't affect them. It's kind of like what we were talking about before, like Chris Brown or to, like you either got it or you don't. And it's probably a lot, a lot of that I'm sure does have to do with genetics, but even not just for modeling, like you'll see people like at the gym that you're like, that ain't fair. You know, like how the fuck can they be, you know, I'm just a skinny dude. Like I, I, it's hard for me to put on weight. And I know that sounds like fucking obnoxious to some people out there because so many people are trying to lose weight, but I'm just like, that's just the way I'm built. Like I'm one of those dudes that could eat, like I ate fucking Chick-fil-A earlier. God and, bless. You know what I mean? And because I'm not I, a little bitch, like I'll, I'll eat everything. Like I'm not going to be that dude who's like, oh, I'm going to, I'm watching my, it's like, I don't give a fuck. Like I, I, I'm, I guess I'm just lucky because I'm a skinny dude. I was just born that way. You know what I mean? I'm but, a skinny motherfucker. But I want, sometimes I want to work out and get muscles and I just can't. I'm just a skinny dude. But I bet if we, if I tracked your eating all day, because I find thin people who say like, I don't know what it is. I eat, yeah. you know, I can eat whatever I want. If you really looked at it, y'all don't eat that much. You know what it is for me? I, I, I eat all day, small increments. Instead of sitting down like a big meal, like I can't eat a big ass plate of food. I'll eat five times a day and like a medium sized meal. I'm like a grazer. Yeah. I think that's probably what it is too. It's just the way, like I, I, that's just how it is. Like at Thanksgiving, like I, I want to eat more, but I get full pretty quick. You know what I mean? I don't know. It's just everyone's different. I don't know that feeling. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you get done with that and then you're starting, you know, acting and whatnot. And you know, you and I have a common thread because- What's that? Dan Schneider. Oh, yeah. Dan Schneider. Yeah. yeah. Amanda Bynes show. Crazy. Yeah, I did that show, What I Like About You, with Amanda Bynes. I, and he wrote and produced it. He created, and you did the Nick and Drake with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I did that, and I did, um, I did uh, Drake and Josh. Drake and, and Josh. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Sorry, dude. Sorry, dude. <laughs> no problem. I'm the Josh part. Wait, Nick and Drake. In, <laughs> in my stoner brain. Who the fuck is Nick? In my stoner brain. Isn't there someone named Nick Drake? Is the, it? A singer. Yeah. Okay. That's what I... <laughs> Oh my That's God! The so, best. I'm sorry, bro. Whatever. Not at all. Yeah. Don't even think twice. <laughs> that's funny. It probably should have been Nick and Drake. Yeah, I wish Drake it was. and Josh. Yo, that's fuck. Your your fans right now are like, you fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember I started on the Amanda show with uh -huh. Amanda. She's a fucking genius, and she's I hope a genius. She, she's a genius. I remember being so blown away by her. Like, so I did a show on the WB that that you're talking about called What I Like About You in like 2001. And uh, I played her brother, her older, well, through marriage, her older brother. And she was 14, 15 years old. And I remember being like, oh my God, this girl is teaching me so much every day. I was blown away. Again, we talk about some people you work with, you're underwhelmed most of the time. With her, she was one of those few people that's like, that's the truth. She's mm. the real deal as a teenager. Mind you, she probably at that point had had her own show for five seasons. She was seasoned, but she just had that thing. Yeah. She got it. Her brain works that way. I remember she took a workshop, a comedy workshop, when she was like seven or eight she at did. the Laugh Factory, and they discovered her there, and she was already popping off the this stage. This was before Nick and Drake? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to keep reading that one again. Yo, uh, <laughs> I, I really wish it was Nick and Drake. No, that's fucking amazing. Uh, 
And yeah, uh, she's a genius. And recently, she did you see her in the news like two days ago? Yeah. She's. I think she'll. I hope she makes a comeback. Good for her. Like she's the fucking best. I have nothing bad to say about her. I just if anything feel sorry that she had to have that childhood fame fucker up. You seem to be one of the few motherfuckers that made it out normal. You're just a very down to earth normal guy. Um, you wouldn't think that you had the child fame because that fucks a lot of people up. Well, I was lucky too because I had like four years of being a total cliche of like uh-huh. debauchery and um, a slow delusion to just like, you know, drugs and alcohol and um, squandering everything I'd worked for. But it was before camera phones and like yeah. too much paps yeah, and shit. It was yeah, like yeah, yeah. 2004 to like 2000. That's when Eight. it was fun out there too. It was a good, you know, fucking fun. being a douche at Lidu. I'm Ledoux. surprised I never saw you. Yeah, I put we, we saw each right, other. We were around, but like I we was did. Just, like I remember we did the head nod once at um, what was the place? Uh, Joseph's. Joseph's. It might have been Joseph's. It was on that was the spot Monday night. There was another spot that the <laughs> we're gonna sell like such douchebags. I know. I, as I said that, I'm fuck. like, oh god, I'm Yo, such a tool. Who are we? Um, the, um but it was fun. guys who own Bootsies, and it was near uh, Cedar Sinai. Oh yeah, uh, Joe, not Joe's. Um, Dominic's. It's right. It was right next to Jerry's Deli. Yeah. Yeah. That exactly. Spot, it and was I remember called, seeing you there. Fuck, what was it called? I remember I almost got beat up by Mark Wahlberg there. Why? Yeah. Oh, I got good Hollywood stories, Yo, man. Give me. Give, okay, give me. So give me. my. Okay. So, <laughs> rewind. New York City back in the day when Mark was Marky Mark. He wasn't Mark Wahlberg yet, yeah, but maybe he was bunch. actually. Yeah. Maybe this was like '94. No, like '90. 596. So when anyway, Donnie was more famous. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. But Mark Wahlberg would like roll around New York, like all jacked up with like a bunch of homies, you know, and like kind of be like a rough dude, right? And and he and my boy, who was from New York City, had beef. So he associated me because I, my boy and him had a beef that I didn't know about over some girl or something. My boy's like a club promoter and they had some weird beef. So one night I'm in front of the tunnel, which is a big club in New York, and I'm getting in the cab with my boy, who was like a street homie and he saw what was going on as we're getting in the cab he's like yo man close the door close the door and i'm like what the fuck and i turn around and it's mark Wahlberg with like eight goons and he's trying to pull me out of the cab and i close the door and lock it and he reaches through the front passenger seat through like in a taxi cab the sliding glass no and he's trying to reach through and grab me all just because i was friends with a dude that he had beef with and the cab driver like bones out. I'm like, what the fuck? And Mark Wahlberg was going to beat my ass. And he was like a jack dude. I'm like, oh, he'll probably fuck me up. I'm like, I got no ego about it. He's a tough dude. He'd fuck us up now. He'd fuck us up now. Yeah. You see his workout 2 routine? 2 a.m. club. What's the crazy. fuck? What's he trying to prove? So <laughs> I see him at that spot you're talking about. I can't remember the name right now. The one next to yeah, yeah, that yeah. one. Oh, fuck, what was it called? Anyway, and he sees me in there. And I'm like, oh, shit. Here we go. Like, he's going to. So I go. I'm like, I think I just need to go up to him. Because if I don't, it's going to be weird. So I roll up to him at the bar. I'm like, hey, man, remember that shit in New York when you like were going to pull me out of the cab? He's like, yeah. And I said something like, yeah, you were with, I, I said something like, yeah, you were with like eight goons. And he goes, I don't, he said something, he was offended by that. And he was like, yeah, I don't need those goons. I'll handle it by myself. Like he was just, which he would yeah, in his defense. <laughs> Perhaps, he probably would. maybe. Co- correct, sir. Yeah, you've got the reach <laughs> on him. Um, and I was with my boy who wanted to fight him, who's a tough, big, white dude that was my homie, who was actually a model, but he was a tough dude that was just down. And he wanted to fight Mark Wahlberg for me. Was this recent? When this was, was this? No, this was like 2000 or something, you know? Like, ah, okay. And... So then I'm breaking up Mark Wahlberg and him, and I buy Mark Wahlberg a beer to squash it. So I buy him a beer. I'm like, dude, it's all good. 
my homeboy passed away that you had beef with in New York, which he did. My friend committed suicide in my apartment in New York City, which is why I left New York. But that's a whole other dark story. We don't need to go there. But my boy committed suicide and I left New York. And that was the dude that had beef with Mark Wahlberg. So I told Mark after I bought him a beer and I handed it to him, I go, dude, that dude that you don't like me because he's, he passed away. And he was like, he was real cool about it. He's like, I'm sorry. I'm like, all good. We like cheers and he thanked me for the beer and that was it. So I did the right thing. Like I went up to him instead of like acting, you know, I knew that that's right. how, the, that's the thing to do. This happened to me recently too. I was performing at some bar in like Huntington or something. And after the show is over, they come up and they make their way into my little table area. And they're like, yo, what'd you say? What'd you say? You know? And I was like, nothing. No, I think you guys are misunderstanding. And, and they wanted to beat me up. And they were like these two crazy white dudes with tattoos. And I was like, and I, I knew that if I didn't look them in the eye and just talk to them, it would have been worse. Same thing. I looked them in the eye. I go, guys, listen to me. It was like, these aren't the droids you're looking for. That kind of thing. Like, I just talked to them. I was like, you guys are misunderstanding. Like, I don't know what you think I'm saying, but I'm not saying anything to piss you guys off. I'm talking, I'm just making fun. I'm a comedic rapper. Like, we could go outside right now and I'll show you on my phone my lyrics because I think they misunderstood what I was saying. They thought I was talking shit about them or something. Some weird misunderstanding. Yeah, but I knew crazy. that I had to, like, look them in the eye and hold their hand. And I shook their hand. I'm like, listen to me. You guys, trust me, you're wrong. I, I'm not talking shit. And they were like, oh, okay. And it was the same thing as with Mark Wahlberg. Like I had to, I just knew to go up and face it instead of like not, you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah. It was weird. It was weird. Like I just kind of went off instinct and. Have you ever, yeah. have you heard the go-to for a Mark Wahlberg impression? No. It's just heavy breathing. It's just a lot of, <sighs> the trees. Yeah. The killer people. <laughs> like There's just like a big, see, he's yeah. always breathing He's always heavy. out of breath. Does yeah. he do that Tom Cruise thing? Because I know Tom Cruise does that too. Like in every scene, Tom Cruise is always out of breath. And then I found out that he likes to jump rope and then they're like action. And he comes in so he's not like low energy. So he's always like, <sighs> or he like does jumping jacks or something. Like that's I, what I've heard. I don't know if that's true. I did a movie that he produced called Red Dawn. And his Wait, son oh, was the in new it. Red Dawn? Yeah. Oh, you were in that? Dope, yeah. Dope. And I'm our, sorry. I love the original one so much. I didn't see it. I mean, it's no Nick and Drake. It's no Nick and Drake. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll leave it alone. <laughs> Three's the number. Um, it's no Nick and Drake, but uh, it's it's a fine movie. But I remember him giving people jump ropes. Really? Okay, yes. so it's true. Yes, it's totally true. I, I was fascinated with Tom Cruise. I mean, he couldn't have been nicer and and more uh, accommodating to all of us. But it just felt like he was Tom Cruise. Like. If I sat with you here, chopping it up with you, like whatever vision of you I had, it's like the actor or uh -huh. the musician or whatever. I'd be like, nah, it's like it's Simon. Like, yeah, we're yeah. just chopping it up. I don't, I don't see that right now. His stage presence, I always saw that. With, he was always on. It was just always. I remember watching the man eat, and he ate beautifully. Right. Like with it's his like mouth it's always closed and shit. Yeah, they, yeah. 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 Perfectly perfect clothes, perfect body, perfect. That's everything. scary to me. I don't know what that. I, it just makes me believe that maybe there's nothing behind right, it. Right, right. Like who is that? Yeah, that's the thing about him. No one really knows. Like who is that guy? Really, he's done a remarkable job at keeping kind of like no one really knows. You know what I mean? Like right. he's. He, I mean, people kind of do. Like he's obviously kind of done a couple of things, like his Oprah moment or whatever. Where people are like whoa, you know. But I, I met him at a party. I met him twice on set at Warner Brothers once, or I saw him shooting right next to me, and then I met him at, whose house was it? It was Goldie Hawn's house. He used to have parties, like Christmas parties, and I was 
there and he shows up and I remember I, me and my boy opened the door and it was him and he was just so on fire like wide eyed eye contact firm shake like hey guys we're just here for the party and he was like an eager beaver like a nice guy I'm like oh my god it's Tom Cruise why is he so like nice yes. he was just so fucking on it you know like the energy was intense That's that Scientology stuff but, I wasn't going to say it, but yeah. I mean, in the sense of, look, you know, whatever the, it, it goes to a deeper weird place that we, we've all, you know, heard about. But on the surface, I think that, because there's got to be some positivity to all those things, right, right, that get you in. And I think it does sort of teach you some communication skills, like very much like the secret type, like sort of, uh, you know, just putting yourself, putting out energy to bring goodness, right. the things that you want to have. Yeah, some law of attraction shit. Yeah. You know, I believe that that probably is real and works. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of shit like that that you, you could do if it's you wanted to. 48 laws of power. Yeah, it's all totally, a totally. form of like manipulation right, of like, right. I'm going to get... What, you know, I've always said like, I just don't, I don't, I think I'm not super successful, which I'm not complaining and it's okay. It's <laughs> I don't have that in me to be that way. And calculators, yeah, like a lot of people at the top, like you got to be willing to cut off your best friend's head and do ruthless shit and be a certain way to make it to the top. And I just never had that, that like whatever that thing is, you know. Is there anyone at the top that hasn't that isn't that way? Yeah, like I'm friends with Mark Ronson, and he's the nicest guy you've ever met. He's a big music producer. I, yeah, I'm trying to get him on the pod. Okay, yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll put in the word. We were uh, oh. we chatted on IG. He's he's, a, he's the sweetest guy in the world. Jewish, like, right? Yeah, he's Jewish. He's very Jewish. He's an old friend of mine from New York, and he's like, when I lived in New York, he was one of my, we actually met, he was a model. We met on a Calvin Klein show. No we both, we met, and I brought him back to my friend's crib, and we are like DJing, and he was just like in a band at Vassar College at the time. Of course. Anyway, so I've been close friends with Mark over the years, and I've watched his success, and I've watched him go to the very top, and he's the sweetest guy in the world. So he is the only exception that I've seen personally of someone at the top who isn't like that, and I'm sure there's others. But I hear stories, and I don't want to say people's names, but there's people that, like, obviously are a lot more cutthroat to make it to the top. And, like, I just don't have that in me. I don't know. I'm okay making, like, enough, like I was saying before, like, enough money to eat at Air One and pay the rent here, and I'm chilling, you know? It's funny. I remember I, my buddy James Ransone, who's an actor, really, really talented cat, and he has a whole theory about the alphas and the betas. Mm -hmm. And he says, true, he's like, alphas get a bad rap because of betas. He's like, most people, most men are beta males mm -hmm. that they have this deep-seated need to um, be cocky and overly confident and, and, and overly perform and have that, um, that machismo bullshit. He's like, a true alpha leads without anyone knowing mm -hmm. they're, they're relaxed they're yeah. so fucking secure right. and quiet yeah they're and not compensating yeah totally yeah yeah i see that. that i see right through that shit like i feel like i'm really sensitive to that kind of shit and i see right through it you could tell when someone's trying too hard and it's a turnoff you know totally and like people i remember when i did red dawn chris hemsworth played my brother in it because like you see the two of us you think brothers and, right. yeah, like, yeah. and yeah. it's like nick and drake right. <laughs> And I remember he had that natural alpha thing, like, cause he was six, four, 
fucking look like you could just a stand guy. there. He doesn't have to do anything. And but he couldn't have been nicer right. to everyone on yeah. set. To me, like we would bro down every night and go eat like shitty food and like lament about you know the scene that we shot earlier where he'd be like, "Oh, I may, I don't know if like I got that scene right." <laughs> like, right. but like I was like, "Trust me, you're like fucking incredible. You you have nothing to worry about right. ever." But it was like very much just a. Every man, it was effortless. I think a lot of people see through that shit. Like people aren't dumb, you know. People feel energies, and people like could see that shit. And I think it's a turn off to me when I see someone just doing too much, you know, like male or woman, man or woman. It's just, I there's a lot of that out here. Right. A lot of we live in L.A. where it's kind of the mecca for people to come out here, and a lot of dreamers and go getters, and which is a good thing and a bad thing. I think there's. It's a two-sided coin. There's a lot of good things about those. This place being the land of dreamers, because you, I'm kind of a dreamer too. And but then it's also could be kind of toxic, you know? Yeah, it's a little both. But you seem to have like with your move down to Venice and whatnot. It, you seem to have gone through like a bit of a, I don't know what you'd call it, a realization, a, a life change over the last. I kind of grew years. up a little bit. I mean, I, I'm still gonna be forever like immature in a lot of ways. But I think that I had to get. I, I just remember. Three years ago, I think I was on the corner of Sunset and La Brea or something, and I looked around, and I just hit the wall. After like 15 years, I'm like, get me the fuck out of Hollywood. I can't handle the TMZ trucks anymore. I can't handle the the networking. I can't handle like the Uber driver after he drops me off, bringing a script back to my house and leaving it after he was pitching a script to me in the car, and then he knows where I live and leaving a script at my door. and Did knowing that happen? Where I, yeah, that happened. Solid. That kind of shit. And I moved, came out to the beach just for a change. I sold my crib. I got a little apartment out here, downsized, you know. And I'm like, oh, my God, the quality of life out here is fucking amazing. I'm at the beach. I go play ball. I'm not around all that shit. And it was like, okay, like I could breathe. You know, and now anytime I go into the city, I'm, I feel the walls closing in. I'm like, fuck, get me back to the beach. And I think coming out here has just kind of centered me and grounded me a bit because I'm not in the – I've just, you know, I adapt. And if you're in that matrix, you're just going to be a part of it. And I just wanted to change the scenery, so I think it's probably my age too. I mean, I've, I think I grew up a bit late, but yeah, yeah. Well, when you're you know having uh, taxicab fights with Mark Wahlberg and Dude. shit, you don't have a lot of incentive to grow up so quickly. If I was a rat, I could write the best book ever. Like, I oh my so god, many, I could, what else just, you got? I got. Yeah, I know you, you got know. another got another nugget to close it on before we close. Like I got a lot of Charlie Sheen stories because I did that. Everything. Do you remember when he went on that tour a few years back when he went on the, uh, I forget what we called the tour, but I remember I was, so I was in Salt Lake City. I just landed in Salt Lake. I'm doing a Dirt Nasty show with Mickey Avalon and I just landed and Charlie calls me and he goes, Simon, where are you? I'm like, I just got to Salt Lake. He's like, I'll fly you back right now. I'm like, well, I have a, I have a show tonight. I, I can't. He goes, I'll pay you double. Just get back here. So I canceled the show. He no needed way. me for something. I flew back, or he flew me back. So y'all knew each other. Yeah, uh, we did Scary Movie three together, and we were Got like it. this every day, all day. He played my brother. So we were, you know, when you shoot a movie, you like you're talking about with Chris Hemsworth, mm. you bond like you're you're together. It's all day. camp friends, yeah, yeah, dude. So me and him clicked, and we hung out every day, and. We're in Canada together, and like he's a real reclusive person. So we got to know each other really well, and hung out, and just broed down. What was he's he like? He's the nicest then? fucking. What's that? What was he like then? Like, he was the, he's the nicest fucking coolest guy in Hollywood. Maybe one of the coolest people I've ever met ever. Down to earth, one of the boys just wants to hang out, doesn't care about the fame and the attention, and just he's a very misunderstood guy. I'm not going to say a bad word about him in the 
See, I met him in 03. In the 15 years I've known him, I've never taken a sip of beer or a hit of a joint or done any drugs with him ever. And no one believes me because he only, when, I'm, when he's working, he doesn't fuck around. And when, he's, when he's on a bad one, like he parties, he don't hit me up. He just hits me up when he's like doing good and wants to go. So I've never even partied with him, which is kind of disappointing. You want to hear a party story? I don't have one. No, not at all. Yeah, but that's what people want to hear. Yeah, but I don't. He's such a fucking sweetheart and such a sharing guy. So anyway, he calls me up and he's like, okay, I want to go on tour. And he's like, Simon, my whole life. So I get back to his house in Bel Air. I want to go on tour. He goes, I want to go on tour. It was called the Abom- What the Torpedo of Truth Tour. Okay, so this was like seven years ago. And he goes, Simon, my whole life I've been told, stand here, say this, wear this, fuck that, I'm doing it my way, I don't care if it fails. I'm like, all right, can't be mad at that, what do you want from me? He's like, I want you to perform 1980 at the end of my show, which is a song I do, you know, it's one of my Dirt Nasty songs. He goes, in my book, it's Stairway to Heaven, 1980 is my second favorite song, and I can't get Led Zeppelin, so will you do it? I'm like, yeah, of course. So he's like private jets fucking landing and you know flying around the country it's yeah. arenas and like he's just going on stage and he doesn't even have a game plan he's just going out there and remember our first show is in detroit and we get okay wait here's the uh, i could go on a whole thing about charlie but this is what the funniest shit was to me is like we're about to take off and we're on a private jet like a g6 or whatever the biggest private jet is the delpus illish yeah the, it's one of the van nuys airport I'm one thing on charlie the, isn't worried about is money right especially at this time and he and and he would tell me that later like we he only would stay at ritz carlton's in every city and even if we were in the city if it was an hour away he'd stay at the ritz carlton and commute and i remember like when we check in he'd be like hey I want you to order the most expensive thing on the menu. I want you to go to the spa and get the most expensive treatment. And I want you to go golfing or whatever the amenities here are. I'm like, why? He goes, because I can't spend all this money I have. I was like, fuck, dude, you're so generous. Like, I feel bad. He's like, no, I want you to do it. I'd be bummed if you didn't. What if you so, were like in the mood for a Caesar salad, well, like not like, the lobster? So I remember when we get to New York, I had like Melanakis and all the homies come by and like, it was out of a fucking movie. Like we ordered like five lobsters, five fillets and he loved it. I'd send him like a picture. He's like, yes, this is what I want. So anyway, we, the first day we're on the jet about to take off in Van Nuys to Detroit for the first show. I'm like, I don't know what to expect. So we're on the PJ with like his two girlfriends at the time. I don't know if you remember this. He had Brie two Olsen. Girl- yes, exactly. Great. Brie Olsen, yeah. And another one. So uh, it was them adult two. Adult actress. Yes, exactly. Both adult actresses. Yeah. Okay. Both adult actors. Uh-huh. I think the other one was too. And so he had his two girlfriends. He had like a couple of his homies, me and like, there was a comedian named Kirk Fox, who's a friend of mine who sure. was on the tour. Anyway, so it was a few of us. And as the plane's about to take off, he goes, they're fucking me, Simon. They're trying to fuck me. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, this, they need to give me a bigger plane. But at this time, he's cracked out, right? No, no, he wasn't cracked out. Because again, when I'm with them, he, well, if, no, he was just. But he's not. He wasn't, he wasn't on crack. I mean, you didn't just, see it, but he's. No, he was at the, no, you know why I don't think he was? Because he was at the gym every fucking morning on the treadmill. And. I think he just snapped. Something in him snapped, and he was Got like, it. fuck everything. I want to go do it my way. And yeah. I really don't think, if he was on drugs, I don't know about it, and I'm being a 1,000% honest. Sure. So we're on the fucking plane, and he's just like, I mean, he's kind of an intense guy, you know? And he's like, uh, they're fucking me, Simon. They're fucking me. I need a bigger plane. And meanwhile, I'm laying down on a couch with my backpack right, as a like, pillow. Like, this ain't Southwest. I'm, I'm, la- I'm like laid out like, are you serious right now? He's like, I need a bigger plane. And the plane's about to take off. He knocks on the cockpit door. Remember the pilot sticking his head out like, what's up, Charlie? He's like, I need a bigger plane. And the pilot's like, there is no bigger plane. This is the biggest one we have. He's like, then I need a second plane. 
he calls up um, Golden Voice, who was doing the tour, whoever the promotion company was, got them to agree to a second plane for him. So me and two dudes go on the other jet. Okay, that's $50,000 in gas alone just to get to Detroit or something crazy like that or the, or the rental for the plane and gas was like 50 Gs. <laughs> oh my God. So he put me and two of the homies in a separate jet and we basically take off at the same time so he has a little extra room. Like that's how ill Charlie is, right? But can you imagine what was that four hours looking like on, on the way to Detroit that he didn't want you to witness? I didn't think about that. That maybe sounds... There maybe there was, yes, yeah, there was <laughs> I'm so naive. <laughs> that's all right. Um, I was, no, but I really believe that he felt like he was getting snubbed. Like mm. he had this weird chip on his shoulder at the time. He's like, fuck everything. I'm gonna... And then we land in Detroit. We go to the fucking thing. And I'm like, Charlie, what are we going to do? He's like, I don't know. I'm like, fuck. Wow. So we, I'll wrap it up. But we basically, no, no, we basically do, he does like Kirk Fox does some, Kirk Fox does some stand-up. He has like a famous pitcher from the Boston Red Sox come out and throw the ball with him. And he's just winging it. And the whole crowd of Detroit, which is a very honest, tough audience, is going, refund, refund, refund. A stadium, bro. Jesus. And I'm like, and I'm backstage cringing for my boy. He's dying out there. And all of a sudden, he's like, um, everyone give it up for Dirt Nasty. And I got to come out and perform where Eminem's from in Detroit, the best white rapper of all time. And I got to come out on stage and do my silly song. And I come out, and I'll never forget, as I come out on stage and I'm like performing my song, there's an exodus of people leaving, like Detroit real motherfuckers all leaving. And mid-leave, like they're already leaving and pissed, chanting refund. They stop in their tracks because I'm rapping. And they just look at me. And they're like, fuck, boo. No. And I'm dying out there. No. And I just have to keep going. And they're, they're like leaving already. And they're booing. And I'm like, oh, this is the worst. So then we get backstage afterwards. I'm like, Charlie, we need a game plan. Like you need to have some structure to this. And, and, and he's like, well, what do you got? So I remember like. I go, you need to have like, a, like someone as a glue to the show. And I go, what about Jeff Ross? And he goes, who's Jeff Ross? And I go, do you trust me? He's like, yeah. I'm like, let's get Jeff Ross out here. And it became the Charlie Sheen roast, which was later on Comedy wow. Central. And I was the middleman that hooked that up without meaning to. I'm like, we got to get, he's like, I trust Simon. And all of his team was like, he's like, I don't care. Simon's right. Get him out here. So I call up Jeff Ross, who I've known for years. Jeff Ross flies out comes on board and helps us like tighten up the act. And he goes, I know what I'm going to do. I'm, once you start bombing, I'm going to come out in a bomb outfit. And I'm like, Charlie, you're bombing out here, buddy. And I'll start roasting you. And it became sort of this roast of Charlie Sheen on tour, which led to the Comedy Central Charlie Sheen roast, which was the highest rated roast of all time. And I pat myself on the back because I, I facilitated that without meaning to, but I was like, wow, I remember watching it going... If it wasn't for me calling Jeff Ross, there would be no Charlie Sheen roast. Like, Comedy Central should be sending me fucking flowers. Oh, shit. They don't shit. even know, like, I hooked it up, you know? Every roast since then should Yo, send you flowers. It's crazy, right? So that, that's just... And if anyone could throw together a show in three minutes, it's Jeff Ross. Yeah, I, like, and I knew it. And, and in a weird way, I knew that I was sabotaging my own job there but i wanted charlie to not die out there because i knew once i brought jeff ross out like i was no longer going to be an integral part of the show as much but i didn't right. care i just wanted charlie to be all right i'm like whatever dude and also and, yeah, how, and how are you going to follow it. that every you, night you can't <laughs> you know you can't and then we we the show kept changing and morphing and then it got better and then by the end it became the charlie sheen roast wow yeah isn't that crazy unreal i don't think i've ever told that story 
That, I just interviewed Jeff last week. He's fucking amazing. I'm so happy for Bumping Mics and Dave Attell, who's one of the best comics ever. I used to go to the cellar in New York back in the day and watch them do their thing. So it's cool to see them finally get on after like 30 years of grinding it out in the comedy clubs. You know, it's always cool when you see that. I remember Bill Burr, same thing. I remember going to see Bill Burr back in the 90s and he was just like some guy at the end not killing it. And I remember, I remember actually having this thought about Bill Burr and no disrespect if he hears this. I remember watching Bill Burr going, this guy's never going to fucking make it. Really? And then now he's one of my favorite comics and I was so wrong. I just remember he was so green. He was like kind of uncomfortable and new and it's okay. Like I, I'm not talking shit. I just remember having that thought and being so wrong because now he's the fucking best. His he's podcast is amazing crazy he's good. on he's on another level he's like top top notch and it just took time you know he was like a brand new dude from boston at the time and i wonder if it's like if you if you literally have to pay your dues and bomb for 10 years to get like even look everything i've done and it's been born out of and you know because i feel like you and i were one of the two people that went from traditional to social and embraced right. yeah yeah we do have that in common like yeah. we didn't have to do it but no. we embraced it and ran with it and it was fun it was a tool it was a vehicle and it's also like it's you know, I think the thing where why actors and people wind up losing their fucking mind is because you enter into this system and you can never get out and you have to play by their rules. Mm -hmm. And yes, it can have like this incre these incredible heights and cash and prizes, but for the most of us, we're handcuffed to a certain extent. And the social media is a platform to do what you want to do and not what a writer, director, producer wants you to do. And therefore, you're doing your own brand, which people seem to respond to better than almost anything else anyway. Like people are always like, they seem to like the characters that I come up with or Dirt Nasty, all these things as much as Scary Movie or as much as the Amanda Bynes thing. Like they like that shit. And there is the psychology of breaking the fourth wall. Like when you're doing shit on your phone and you're looking at the camera, psychologically, I think people are like, oh, he's talking to me. It's not like you're performing on a movie screen you're like in their pocket all yeah, day they have They're like oh he's talking to a me. relationship with yeah you. and you do and you're like interacting with them and comments and all this shit so it's we embraced it instead of shunning it which a lot of people did and i just want to make people laugh whether it's a fucking song whether it's a movie whether it's an instagram post or a vine or whatever i just want to make people laugh so why not use that tool you know i just want to be like it's I've, it's funny because it seemed like a little bit foo-foo and abstract to me to be called an artist yeah and i was just like nah, i'm an actor that's what i do and now at this point i've i've really embraced that moniker because it just means creating you know no matter the medium and whether it's to your point, it's TV, movies, music, Instagram, what have you. It's like, is anything of more value or not? Because if it inspires a reaction in someone, and I think what the beautiful thing is like this podcast or anything else that we do on our own, you're afforded a runway to be bad and to formulate something and say, listen, I'm going to do you know, 30 episodes of this thing or 10 episodes of the pod. And the first eight are going to be kind of shaky and weird and kind of great in moments and kind of shitty in others. But if you give me the time and this is the right thing, I bet you I'll figure it out. But they like that honesty too, I bet. Yeah. yeah they want to see, and people like, they, they, that's real. Do you know, you know, Theo Vaughn, he's a friend of mine. Of he's very vulnerable on his podcast. He's like, oh man, I, I'm struggling with this and that. And it works so well because it's real and honest. And I think people want that and it's refreshing. Yeah. And that's why people get to hear this instead of just like the five minute Tonight Show interview or whatever it would be. It's like, but, that's so canned, you know? But like in, in the biz, it's like they put so much money behind something before anyone ever sees it. Yeah. And so it's like, it goes through so many, 
reincarnations yeah. and then it you loses have one a lot shot of heart or comedy yeah and then you get one shot and if it doesn't work they're like nah b you're done and yeah. then you go to jail for it yeah. and then they're like actually no one's going to touch you for a couple of years yep. now that's because really like, you true. got that stink on you it's so true I mean, you're Nick from Nick and Drake, so you know. I know. Anyway. <laughs> Nicholas. It was actually Drake oh, and Nicholas. Nicholas. Oh, yeah, he's in the street name. It's a double fuck up this right. whole time. <laughs> uh, Simon, yo, thank you, man. Right, it's bro, the thank best. You, bro. That was great. Good yeah. looking out. Yeah. That was it. That was Simon Rex. Simon, dude, thank you for doing the pod. Please check out his podcast, Nervous Rex. I'm on it this week. Um, iTunes, everywhere where you can find podcasts, Nervous Rex. Guys, have a great week. I'm a big fan of all of you, separately and as a group. Um, I don't have a name yet for my fan base, but trust me, one day I'll come up with something incredible, and and it'll be a really fun moment for all of us. I I really look forward to that in a in a huge way. Anyway, talk to you guys later. I don't know how to end this, so I'm just gonna say, bye.